is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. Hi, Laurie Gregory here. Welcome back to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. Andy, we pull you from the editing room yet one more time. How's it going? It's tense. It's tense. As Jim said, it all comes, the last 5% is a bitch. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. When you get to the last 5%, the problems really come at you. But that's okay. That's that's show business. And we're very close. We're almost there. So I've been buried, buried deep, deep, deep in this, in, in editing. We've got a great story. We've got a great story. Just got to get it out to the public. Sassy well, they don't. They, they they don't call you Andy the Valiant for nothing, and <laughs> the last five percent is a formidable opponent. But I'm certain one that you will wrestle to the ground, David Goliath style, and emerge victorious. We we know there are so many people who are waiting for this film and have been patiently banging on our door asking when is it coming? When is it coming? And we know it's it's really close now. We're talking about weeks, not months. I'm really just thrilled at the environment at which you're going to drop this film. It couldn't get any better. It continues to ripen in terms of health freedom and people's curiosity about what's really going on. Speaking of which, we had some really interesting events this week. I'm, I Perhaps we should mention first and sort of get your thoughts on this vaccine trial situation. I guess we're getting the first reports on the volunteers for the vaccine COVID trial. And it looks to be, what is it, 8 out of 45, about a 17% antibody result, something along those lines? What are your thoughts well, about that? Well, I, you know, it's the, the way these trials get reported is interesting. So the first, you know, you have this Moderna trial of the RNA-based vaccine, which is a novel strategy for human beings and completely unproven. And, and forgive me, because I've been so busy with editing that I really haven't had a time, had time it, to it's really go into the details throw, of it. It's unfair I, to throw no, this No, no, that's okay. That's okay. But just, just with that caveat, I just, you know, mentioned that. But it looked to me like, I mean, the first time I looked at the results of the trial, you know, the first 10 pages of uh, when you went to search for the results of this trial, it was all promising results, promising results, promising results. And the stock market value of, of the company rose dramatically on the basis of those reports. But history teaches us to go into the, the devil is in the details. And then I communicated with Bobby and Bobby produced this article showing that the adverse reaction rate, particularly for the high titer vaccine or the high dose vaccine was in the order of the serious adverse reaction rate was in the order of 20%. Now, those are short-term reactions. That is 20% of those who went into the trial. 20% of the healthiest people you could choose, not those at risk of uh, a serious reaction or death to the virus, but those who, for the most part, have no clinical infection whatsoever or minimal symptoms, and in those who were essentially protected by virtue of their age and good health from the virus itself, you have a 20% serious adverse reaction rate. That is really alarming for any pharmaceutical product. That would be a death knell. You would not see headlines 
proclaiming that this was a wonder drug. And of course, what happened on the back of Bobby's single critical analysis of the trial is the stock market price plunge. And that is how blunt an instrument Wall Street is. But it tends, Wall Street tends to encourage this sort of scientific publication by headline, by press release. And you can put out anything you want. And I just hope someone shorted Moderna on that one because yes. it was it was wholly dishonest. Now, what was also somewhat concerning, and again, forgive me if I've got the numbers wrong because I just haven't had time, but I saw that in terms of the antibody response, they were talking about how there was also an Oxford trial, and I may be confusing them, so I apologize if I am, but there was an 8%, sorry, 8 out of the 45, I think, or a small percentage developed what are called neutralizing antibodies. So when you have a viral infection, a microbial infection, you'll develop an antibody response. The majority of those antibodies are irrelevant. They're utterly irrelevant. They just uh, form in response to exposure to the proteins or carbohydrates on the surface or structural proteins of the virus. And they have no real biological relevance in terms of protecting us from infection. The key antibodies are neutralizing antibodies. And so if you want to know if you are at least in some way, way protected from an infection, then you're looking for neutralizing antibodies. And even the presence of neutralizing antibodies, although they are the gold standard for the efficacy of a vaccine, they are not necessarily indicative of an adequate protection because they give you no account of the other major arm of the immune system, which is a cellular immune system. But quite apart from that, the fact that a small percentage developed protection, whereas a larger percentage developed antibodies, only 8% or some small percentage developed the neutralizing antibodies, really is a bust. It's really not impressive at all. And it's reminiscent of the kind of thing that you see every year with influenza. This vaccine had a 5% efficacy rate. Now, I'm not even sure whether they judge efficacy in terms of influenza vaccine, in terms of neutralizing antibodies, they may not. But it's it's not good. This is not good. And quite appropriately, Bobby published his reanalysis and the stock market price came crashing down. And it seems that the Oxford study, which was looking at primates initially, showed that uh, despite developing antibodies, uh, they all developed clinical infection. They mm. all had re recoverable virus from their respiratory tract. So upon re-exposure, so in other words, and th 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 that exemplifies the notion that if you just because you have antibodies mean does not mean that you are protected. It's terribly, terribly important to bear this in mind. And just as an aside, you know, for measles, we the, the gold standard is measurement of neutralizing antibodies to measles virus and tests that develop look at antibodies to measles virus as a measure of efficacy, not whether it protects people from infection, but whether it produces antibodies. Well, it is extremely important to recognize that people who have a genetic deficiency of antibody production, hypogamma globulinemia, cannot produce an antibody response. They respond perfectly well to measles infection. They mm. clear the measles infection perfectly well. Ergo, antibodies are not necessary for your adequate, totally adequate immune response and clearance of these viruses. So are they an adequate, a proper indication 
of immunity from infection? No, absolutely not. So looking at these surrogate endpoints for protection, such as antibody levels, be they total antibody levels or neutralizing antibody, whatever they might be, they are really not giving the full picture. They are misleading and they will license vaccines based upon those data when in fact they have very little meaning in the real world at all. So Bobby, of course, you're referring to is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We're actually going to have him on the show here in a, in a minute, not today, but shortly. And yet, the, despite these preliminary results, we have people like Alan Dershowitz, who I am now calling the Dersh, advising that the government has the right to drag you into a doctor's office and plunge a needle in your arm if you refuse said vaccine. What do you think about this? I think it's deeply, deeply alarming. I, it, the, the case, and I'm sure he quotes it accurately, he's an expert on constitutional law. I most certainly am not. He quotes the Jacobson versus the state of Massachusetts in the mm -hmm. context of, I believe, smallpox vaccination years ago, saying that you effectively have no right in the face of a disease that threatens the population at large. If you not being protected are a threat to that population and you can be um, the threat, your threat to the rest of the population can be reduced by vaccination, then you have no right to decline that vaccination. That's, again, deeply alarming because the narrative that is spun is one um, really contrived by the pharmaceutical industry, by the public health officials and by the medical profession, all in favour of the vaccine, despite its shortcomings, both in terms of efficacy, its ability to protect, and in terms of safety. And the, the, the recent experience with the public reaction and the stock market reaction to the preliminary COVID-19 vaccine trials are so reminiscent of this. So here he is, here is Dershowitz basing his, um, his position, not only in the constitution, but his desire to line up, to be first in line to get this needle plunged into his arm. Good luck to you, Alan. Good luck <laughs> to you, buddy, because uh, you need to read the small print before you get in line. But if that's what you choose to do, then God bless you and off you go, because um, I won't be joining you. No. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Jason Goodman's uh, Crowdsource the Truth, who is the citizen journalist who did the, in the initial interview where Dershowitz made that statement and I was watching uh, last Saturday when it was posted and it hadn't made headlines yet so it was just sort of slipped into the regular in the surrounding bits of the interview and I, I, I had to pause and, and, and go back and re-listen. I couldn't believe that I was hearing such an aggressive abomination of health freedom and it made me scared to think that someone of his stature would make such an irresponsible statement. Clearly, he does not understand that this is an industry that is completely run off the rails in terms of responsibility and accountability to the marketplace. Clearly, he doesn't want to acknowledge or discuss the fact that these are products that are protected and have no liability in the marketplace and that the government pays out on average $200 million a year for their damages. How could you, you know, whether he's arguing constitutional law or not, there's a social responsibility 
to understand the complexities of the bigger picture. And so it seemed to me that making that kind of statement, which was so sensational, could not have been by accident. It feels that the timing of this for him to make such an egregious claim and that he wants to argue this at the Supreme Court level, it feels like that's precisely what he wants to have happen. Yes, what's fascinating is that he betrays his ignorance. And you would think that a person like Dershowitz would really come to uh, this this debate well prepared. And I to enormous credit to Dell for getting him on the show. And I was actually halfway through listening to Dell Bigtree's high wire interview of Dershowitz and I got interrupted by editing and, and I want to get back to it. I didn't get to the meaty part. But the wonderful thing about Dell's approach is let's let's educate this guy. Let's just right, actually right. expose him to the truth. And, and you heard Dershowitz say, yeah, but what about measles? What about, I had a friend who died from, sorry, what about uh, polio? polio. What about, what I had about a friend polio? Who died from, but that same story keeps same, going. Same. So this is why the film is important. The new film is because it, uh, it answers exactly that question. What about polio? Because people throw this away. They just throw it out there as though that deals with the argument, what about polio, what about smallpox, and that's it. No further discussion is required. And oh, by the way, anecdotally, I had a friend who died of polio. Right. Well, we really need to understand the history of polio vaccine before we make such claims, and certainly before we put it out there as our rationale for being first in line to have that needle plunged into our arms and Actually, constitutionally, I'm going to be fighting for first place with every other American because they're going to have to have that needle plunged into their arms as well. It's, it's really alarming. And so Dell's approach to educating him is extremely important. And I actually would, I would love Dershowitz to watch 1986, the act, because it is right up his alley. It is a story of legislation and litigation, and it will educate him in the facts. And I wonder how he will emerge from that. But the point he made, and the important point he made, is that this is a democracy, at least in terms of the way the laws are construed or the people who construe them are voted into office. And therefore, we do have the ability to change things. And what you need is a majority. And what this film needs to do is to persuade a growing minority to go further and become the majority and vote into, into law the people who will take another look at Jacobson versus Massachusetts mm -hmm. and its significance and what is required to make these determinations in what, in, what is a, you know, the safety of the, the vaccine, the efficacy of the vaccine, the fallout from the vaccine versus the true severity of the disease itself and its threat and any individual's threat to the population. Because, of course, what they're saying at the end of the day is everybody else has got their vaccines, but you haven't had yours, so you're a threat to those people who've had their vaccines. Well, if the vaccine worked, then that wouldn't be a problem. But yeah, it only, it only makes sense, Andy, if you don't yeah. think about it. Yeah. If yeah. you don't think about it, it's easy. If you make glib throwaway comments like, what about polio, and then walk out of the room, then good luck to you. Very, very well, good luck. It's the exact same you know, conversation and argument that I had with Ben Allen in 2015 during SB 277. One of the reasons I believe that uh, Richard Pan chose Ben Allen to be the co-sponsor is that Ben Allen's father, who is a UCLA professor, is a polio survivor. And what people like Alan Dershowitz and Ben Allen don't know. And when they make statements that, you know, 
vaccines cured polio. Their ignorance doesn't understand. They haven't looked at the facts to know that Jonas Salk himself testified before Congress in the early 1970s. And he stated at that time that every case of polio in the United States from 1955 until that moment in time was a direct result of the vaccine. So it's quite possible, you know, Mr. Dershowitz, I think, is in his goldenish years, 70s, late 70s-ish, maybe. It's quite possible the timeline would line up that that friend that died from polio perhaps even received the polio vaccine. Death is a side effect of these vaccines. So uh, it, it, is, it is incredibly revealing in terms of the learning curve and the level of information when people start making those kinds of statements. We've, we've had a little headline drop that really was not a headline. It should have been a headline. It's a little factoid that the CDC dropped last week, Andy, late last week, I believe it was, that our autism rates are now at 5.4 million for men over the age of 18 in the United States. 2.2% of American men 18 and older are on the autism spectrum. Did you notice that in the headlines anywhere? I haven't seen any headlines to that effect. And I'm just to follow it up, and I just saw today from John Stone in the UK that the rate of autism in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, is 7%. 7% of school children have autism. Um, That's it's really staggering, a staggering, isn't it? staggering number for a disease that when I was at medical school graduating in 81, we weren't even taught about because it was so rare. So this, the real epidemic, the real epidemic of neurodevelopmental disorders in children, immune disorders in children is staggering. And, and the, the over 18 group is really the sort of leading edge of the epidemic, 18 to 30. The majority of, of those affected are in the younger years. So it's going to be much, much higher. This is an extraordinary level of disease in what should have been otherwise healthy young Americans. And you hear time and time again, we have no idea what's causing this, but we do know it's not vaccine. Mm -mm. Absolute nonsense. And I hope that this film once and for all dispels that nonsensical notion. People throwing out bad science, fraudulent science, as evidence that vaccines are safe. I mean, it's extraordinary the extent to which the world public has been deceived in this matter. And headline after headline, which then leads to stock movement or drop, you know, up or down, all based on headline. We're going to juxtapose what is what we would consider to be a real epidemic, which is the staggering number of autism cases, the rate at which we're looking, you know, Dr. Seneff says by 2032, um, one in two children, 80% of all boys will be on the spectrum. And these statistics that we're quoting are certainly the swell of that tidal wave that's happening before our very eyes. And yet let's juxtapose that with the new CDC guidelines coming out for recommended school openings for the fall and the lunacy surrounding that. We're going to pause, though, and we're going to redirect our audience over to Patreon. If you want to hear more, we're going to talk about the CDC guidelines and what the government and the CDC thinks you should be concerned about, not autism and vaccine safety. Oh, no, no, vaccines are safe and effective, but these are the real precautions you should be taking. But go over to Patreon, the Andy Wakefield podcast, and for a small amount of $5 a month, 
you can become a subscriber. We will be moving this podcast to Patreon. We'll be dropping one a month starting in June. And for $5 a month, you'll be able to get access to all four podcasts a month, along with the additional dialogue and goodies of conversation that you won't hear on the regular podcast. So thank you for joining us and pop on over to patreon.com and continue the discussion. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield podcast, a place where stories are being told that have never been heard before. This is a Seventh Chakra Films production. Please follow and like us while you still can on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Andy Wakefield Podcast, and now on Sphere, S-P-H-I-R dot I-O at Andy Wakefield. <laughs>